for the decades three deeply disturbing phenomena stand out in American decision-making on the Middle East. First, the increasingly influential role of the Congress in the actual formulation of Middle East policy and the continuing acquiescence of the executive in this process. Legislatures are too tuned to parochial priorities to conduct the foreign policies of global powers. Second, the steady retreat of successive American administrations from earlier principled positions on Jerusalem and on the applicability of international law and the Geneva Convention to Israel as an occupying power of the West Bank and the Golan. And third, the continuing disconnect, disconnect between development on the ground in the Middle East and the diagnosis of cause and effect by the American foreign policy elite, both in and outside office. Perhaps the most outrageous initiative by the American Congress on Jerusalem has been its endorsement in 1995 of the transfer of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to a specifically united and reunited exclusively Jewish capital of Israel. This endorsement is already a public law of the United States, thanks to the failure of President Clinton to veto it. Ladies and gentlemen, triumphant Zionism has been increasingly in the ascendant in Israel and the Jewish diaspora since the crushing military victories of 1948 and 1967. This triumphalism is anchored in Israel's nuclear monopoly and in the American guarantee of Israel's military superiority against any combination of neighboring states. Israel has received a tremendous infusion of human reinforcement from the recent U.S.-sponsored mass immigration of a million ex-Soviet Jews. Thanks to this infusion, Israel can send colonists in the thousands into East Jerusalem, the West Bank, and the Golan. Israel derives vitality from the unstinting support of right-wing American evangelism. Its self-confidence is fed by automatic U.S. congressional circumvention of any undesirable initiative by the U.S. administration and by the automatic veto by this administration of any undesirable resolution by your Security Council. The American Jewish community, though not, not monolithic on the peace process in general, 
is virtually unanimously hardline on Jerusalem. Inside Israel, the principal leaders are engaged in a continuous outbidding competition with one another. Too often, the arena of this competition is Al-Haram Sharif. Bibi's disastrous authorization in 1996 of excavations beneath the western wall of Al-Haram Sharif was an exercise in outbidding Peretz and Barak on the left and Sharon on the right. Sharon's catastrophic invasion of Al-Haram Sharif in 2000, in the year 2000, which triggered the second intifada, was an exercise in outbidding Barak on the left and Bibi on the right. The asymmetry in the overall balance of power between Israel and the Arab world is compounded by intra-Palestinian disarray and by the absence of an Arab center of gravity. Soaring expectations were raised in the Arab and Muslim worlds by the new American administration. Presidents whose middle name is Hussein do not grow in plenty in American orchards. But the swift transition by Secretary Clinton from her categorical no to settlements, no to natural growth, to her gushing depiction as unprecedented of Bibi's moratorium which excludes East Jerusalem is not only a farce, but an unpropitious augur of the future. With regard to, the, to Israel, the United States is not an umpire or referee. It is not a broker or passive observer. Jewish settlement in Jerusalem, the West Bank, and the Golan is financed by unaudited official U.S. capital and tax-exempt private donations. It is defended by U.S.-supplied arms, sustained by the U.S. mass media, shielded by U.S. diplomacy, and often manned by armed U.S.-born colonists. The U.S. is a major part of the problem and the major actor in the solution.